Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Twenty-seven oh three is the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, April twenty-first, two thousand twenty-two. Twenty-seven oh three is the announced attendance at the game yesterday between the Oakland Athletics and the Baltimore Orioles in Oakland, and it has created quite a stir, not just around baseball, but also around sports. So I wanted to start immediately with a conversation about why this is happening. And it's not exactly for the reasons that everyone is saying. And it makes me smile because I have great, great street cred in this department as someone who ran a team that didn't absolutely draw a lot of people, as someone who made up attendance in order not to have conversations like this, except also didn't make up attendance when it suited me, when there were ballparks to be built or teams to be moved, or pressure to be put on the commissioner's office. There are myriad reasons why the owner of the A's, who is only involved in a macro level, the president of the team who runs the operations, runs the baseball, although in the Oakland case, it's Billy Bean who runs the baseball side, probably doesn't report to Dave Cavill, the president of the A's. But either way, there are strategic discussions that you have with the owner, but then execution of those discussions happens and has to be articulated and disseminated by the president. So I want to start by telling you, attendance at Major League Baseball games is based on your season ticket number. That is the single most important source of attendance in baseball. You want to have as many season ticket holders as possible because a it shows you what your consistent revenue ticket revenue will be throughout the course of a season but b it gives you a base of attendance every single game so you don't have to worry about weather you don't have to worry about opponent you don't have to worry about team performance you don't have to worry about any of the variables that can have a quashing impact on your attendance you've got always a base number so if you have a team with 10,000 season ticket holders, and that's not just season ticket holders because that's another word that we use to manipulate, a season ticket holder is anyone who has a season ticket, whether it's an eight-game package, whether it's a 40-game package, 20 games, 60, or 80. That's the maximum, 81. The number that we focus on is called 
FSE. An FSE is a full season equivalent. Therefore, when you look at section 168, row nine, seat six, if that seat is taken all 81 games by one person, that is one FSE. If that seat is taken by two people who buy 40 games and 41 games, that's still one F is FSE, but two season ticket holders. What if that same seat has four 20-game packages? Come on, stay with me. That means still one FSE, but now you're up to four season ticket holders. So when you are discussing your numbers with the media, when you're talking about your season, when you're trying to build some sort of narrative, you decide which set of numbers you want to discuss. Because in every case, in every sport, other than football, where I don't even know Coca, do they even do partial ticket packages in football? Or do you have to buy all eight games plus two preseason games? Now there's a ninth game every two years. I bet you they don't even screw around with partial season tickets. Like you can buy half a season, which is four games. But in baseball, in basketball, in hockey, where there are more home games, you are absolutely able to buy what are called partial season ticket plans. So when we're meeting with chambers of commerce or we're going around and, and talking in our community or giving talking points to the media, we will say, yes, we have 12,000 season ticket holders. But that may only mean we've sold 6,000 full season equivalents, which means that every home game is going to start with a base of 6,000 for real. But we can announce at least 12,000 per game because no one is going to know the difference or think about the difference between season ticket holders and FSEs. So picture that you're building a fire. You have to put stuff at the base of the fire and you had better have a strong base or else your fire is going to go out. You can light it with some kindling, meaning give a few tickets away and start your base of attendance that way, but that's not really sustainable. So the best way to do it is you've got a pyramid of sticks. Those are your season ticket holders. Then you add to that fire with group sales. Group sales are any company, any individual, but mostly it's companies, small companies, big companies. Sponsors are a huge part of this, where they bring their clients, they bring their coworkers, their employees, whatever the case is, groups are decided by every team differently. We always said 20, 20 or more people, that's a group. Buy 20 tickets, you got a group. If you're the group leader, we'll give you some special treats, we'll invite you to a suite, we'll let you meet a player, we'll give you an autographed ball, because group leaders are the ones who are in charge of of herding the cattle to games. And you want these people to champion the possibility of spending a day at your ballpark with a group of people. So that's another set of sales. Then you've got your corporate sponsors, all the signage in your stadium as part of every single corporate sponsor deal ever made by every team. There are tickets involved. So the way we're, I gotta digress for one second. That's why when you read a naming rights deal 
and they say, oh, we signed a naming rights deal for $10 million a year for 10 years, we got $100 million. That is absolutely untrue. The $10 million a year is not simply for your name to be on the ballpark. You are getting other assets that are valuable. So for example, as part of the naming rights deal, you get an outfield wall sign. Well, an outfield wall sign, if you want it alone, is $400,000 a year. Therefore, the naming rights part of your deal is already down to $9.6 million because you got an outfield wall sign for $400,000 that takes up space that can't be used to sell to a different company. In addition, you get a suite to every game, whether you like it or not. And the reason why teams give suites to their, season, their, their naming rights partners is because no teams are able to sell out suites just for someone off the street or a company on a one-off basis. There's too many suites in these ballparks. So you say to this company who's buying your naming rights, by the way, we're giving you a suite and we're allocating the cost of the suite is $200,000 a year. We're making you buy food in advance for $10,000 a game. And that's another part of the 10 million that is subtracted. So when you value what is just the naming rights portion of a sponsorship deal, it is not the number that's ever announced. Then part of the deal is you get a giveaway. So all the bobbleheads that you all collect or all the umbrellas that you get, I don't think they do umbrellas, bat day, ball day, they're always sponsored. So if you look at the name of all the stuff you get for free when you go to a game, like if there's a t-shirt, there's a sponsor's name on it. That is part of a larger sponsorship deal that includes tickets to games, that includes the signage in the outfield or behind the plate or behind first base, et cetera. So it is a fully baked deal where numbers are allocated in a certain way for the team, but for the company, they say, hey, our budget was to give you $10 million. It, we have to get the naming rights for that. We're happy to take all this other stuff, but the mo most you're getting from us is 10 million. You can allocate it in your books however you want. You wanna keep two sets of books, keep two sets of books. Whatever you wanna do, we don't care. We're giving you $10 million and you're giving us the world. So group sales are added to season tickets. And then on top of that, you've got corporate sponsorship tickets. And then on top of that, you have what's called individual game day tickets. Now we call them game day tickets because in the old days you would walk up to the box office and you would say, we're going to get 4,000 people to walk up to the box office and just buy a ticket at the box office. And so if we had a season ticket base of 6,000 plus some group sales of 2,000 that day, plus corporate sales tickets of another thousand, we're up to 9,000. We're going to get 4,000 people to walk up called walk-ups game days. We're going to have 13,000 people. Great. That's going to be our attendance. Now, if something crazy happens, we're on a win streak. Miguel Cabrera is going for 3,000 hits. We've got Dontrell Willis against Randy Johnson. We've got Jose pitching. Whatever the case may be, we'll say, oh, that could be another little stripple. And then we'll have a crowd of 13,269, let's say. So that is how attendance is built. But the key number is the bottom of that fire. And that is your season ticket number. If you look around baseball, it is one of the most interesting things that the number of season tickets would shock you and in a full season equivalence. There are teams, when we moved into a new ballpark, we did a pro forma financial statement, a budget, 
where we expected out of a 39,000 seat stadium, we expected to have 18,000 full season equivalents. Now at Pro Player Stadium, we had had 4,000, 3,000, 5,000, 2,000, 6,000. We had expected people to buy in 2011 at Pro Player as a way to get 2012. We started that. Hey, if you want season tickets in the new ballpark, you got to buy tickets in 2011 at Pro Player Stadium. But of course, we would give exceptions and we would say, ah, you don't really have to because people didn't want to do that. And we would say, no, it's cool because people are going to want to go to games in Miami who didn't want to go in Fort Lauderdale. You can rationalize anything when you want it to fit the narrative that you want to believe. You can put together any group of facts and mold them to look any way you want. So right now, the Oakland A's are going for a stadium and they are trying to do two things. They are trying to get a stadium in Oakland. They're trying to get a stadium done in Las Vegas. They've got the commissioner's approval to seek relocation in Las Vegas. They have bought land. They are negotiating to buy land. They're getting sued in Oakland. They're having issues in Vegas. We've talked about all of it. But if you are the owner, John Fisher, who, yes, has money, as all owners do, you are interested in making sure that baseball is well aware that the team is not sustainable where it is. Check. Rob Manford notes it. You don't need to prove anything to the commissioner that baseball cannot work in the Oakland Coliseum. He knows it from their revenue. He knows it from other teams as it relates to when they see their books and they see the revenue sharing. So that's not the reason. Two, you want to show your local fans, your local community, that where you currently are doesn't work and that it will be better in a new stadium. Oakland doesn't need to do that either. Everyone in Oakland, all fans, all non-fans are aware that the current situation for the Oakland A's where they play is not tenable. Okay, that's not the reason. Three, you are showing the local politicians that you cannot afford to contribute any more than what you are and what you have told the other side when you're doing a public-private partnership negotiation. Hey, my hands are tied. Look at our revenue. Look at our situation. There's nothing more we can do. Number three, that's three. That's a good one. But in this case, that's not it either because the Oakland A's have been negotiating for so long. It is very clear to the politicians in Oakland. It is very clear to the voters in Oakland. It's clear to everybody in Oakland that the A's support at the Coliseum is de minimis. Number four, when Bud Selig was commissioner, he wanted to set attendance records every year. He started something called the discretionary ticket fund from the commissioner, which gave money from the commissioner's office to teams to get tickets, to give tickets away at the cost of a dollar, really give them away, but it got to count toward paid attendance. Because the numbers that you read, remember, is paid attendance. It is not turnstile. When you read a box score number, those are the number of tickets that were sold. You don't know what the price is. They could have all been sold for a dollar. 
Oakland's total revenue for yesterday's one nothing game with the Baltimore Orioles, their total revenue could have been $2,703 if all tickets were bought for a dollar. Their actual revenue could have been negative 2703 We used to buy dollar tickets just so we could inflate our attendance numbers because there are only one set of books. You can't do commando style, Danny, what you, because you have to show the league and you get audited by not just the league, but by teams, by your, by your own auditor. And you have to have paid tickets and you have to have money associated with those paid tickets. So what we would do is we'd write a check to ourselves for $2,703, and those would be the $2,703 tickets that were supposedly given away, but we basically didn't even print them because we did it during the fifth inning before we announced attendance and made up a number that was significant for whatever reason. Like 2703 could have been the 27 Yankees in March had a good year, so our attendance is 2,703, whatever the case may be. So there has to be a paper trail for that 2,703 tickets. And if the A's bought those 2,703 tickets, that would mean that they actually lost $2,703 that particular game in revenue. But that's not the case. Because as you know, there is the base of the fire, which are season ticket holders. And in Oakland, no matter how bad things are, there's always going to be your base. And the base consists of people who will go to games and buy season tickets, no matter how bad the team is or how good the team is or how bad the stadium is or how good the stadium is. They just love baseball and they are buying season tickets. Hard stop. Plus, you've got the sponsors tickets. Those are going to be part of a 10-year sponsorship deal. The team is good one year, bad one year. The number of tickets allocated in that sponsorship deal still count to your base attendance of any particular game. So what could be the possible PR benefit to announcing 2,703 for the Oakland A's? And this is where I've got a problem with what they're doing in Oakland. You are not helping your cause one bit. You are not making it easier to relocate. You are not making it easier to get a stadium done in Oakland because you are so many years into this process that no one cares anymore. So now people are saying, maybe it's a boycott, an organized boycott. Well, I can tell you in all of my years in sports and all of my conversations with owners of other teams and presidents of other teams, not just in baseball, but in other sports, it has never come across my lips or anyone's lips into my ears where there is some sort of boycott by fans that is actually meaningful in terms of an impact on numbers. Not once. There are some people who can be angry and they're angry on social media or they're angry in letters to the editor before there was social media. Dear editor in the opinion section, we can't stand Samson. We're never going to Marlins games again because they stink and they shouldn't have done this, this and that. All right, great. Nice letter. We then hire someone to write a letter to the editor. Dear editor let's give these guys a chance and let's give our team a chance and let's go support our players so all that doesn't matter so oakland is choosing not to inflate its attendance and it is embarrassing to the commissioner it's embarrassing to oakland and the thought is that fans are boycotting because the a's 
don't have a good team because they traded away all their players. Horse hockey. Let me just give you some facts instead of all the hyperbole and crap that you read about. Over the last 10 years, the Oakland A's have the eighth highest winning percentage in all of baseball. Eighth. Dodgers, Yankees, Cardinals. Get ready. Hold on to your hat. The Cleveland Indians. The Washington Nationals. The Tampa Bay Rays. The Boston Red Sox. And then the Oakland A's. How you feeling now, A's fans? The eighth highest winning percentage in 10 years. It's not a one-year sample. How about this? You've been to the playoffs six times in 10 years. No World Series, but only the Dodgers, Nationals, and Red Sox in that group have won the World Series in those past 10 years. But you got to get there to have a chance to win it. Eighth highest winning percentage. And now you're boycotting because they traded Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and Mont- Manea, Manaya, Montas, Montag, Mayfield, Merriweather, GMAB. Teams go up and they go down. Do you think it's disrespectful with Billy Bean? Are you impugning Billy Bean's ability to win games? There's a lot I could tell you about Billy Bean and a lot that I have. There's one thing I do know. The most important skill that he has is he knows when his team's going to be good and he knows when his team's going to be bad and he can figure it out earlier than any other GM in history. Would it be nice for him to have more revenue in order to have a higher payroll? Maybe. It's been great for Andrew Friedman to go from the Rays to the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a ring. Now, they've been to the playoffs every year. They win the division every year except last year. They've got tremendous depth. They're favored to win 172 games this year. I think that'll be hard. I'd take the under to 172. But if you think that you're an A's fan and you're boycotting because you're upset with the status of the team and the payroll of the team, that's outrageous. If you're angry with the owner so you don't want to go to a game, that's outrageous. You're going to skip having a cool time, a cool memory with a friend, with a family, with your company because you're angry with an owner? Better. Your team's leaving. Why would I take the time to go to a game if my team's leaving? Well, if you listen to nothing personal, we told you the team's not going anywhere. The team's not going to get a deal done in Vegas. It is in the best interest of baseball to have a stadium deal done in Oakland, and there will be a stadium deal done. So what's the reason? What's the reason that Oakland is announcing so few? What's the reason that Oakland refuses to make up a bigger number so there wouldn't be a discussion? Now, remember when the Marlins made up numbers and there were no people in the stands, do you remember what the articles were? They were very simple, right? The Marlins announced a crowd of 12,469 today, but it certainly looked like there were fewer than 2,000 in the ballpark. And I would say to my PR guys, good job. I'd call the guy from the AP. His name was Steve Wine, actually. I'm remembering his name right now. Good guy, Stephen Wine. He just retired. I'd say, why do you have to always take a, 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 a knock at us of our attendance? Why is that relevant? And he said, he'd always say, well, it's part of the game story. It's newsworthy. And I would be like, all right, whatever. But the coolest part is no one cared. They'd read it and they'd say, oh, that doesn't look like 
12,000 people. And it wouldn't matter because when you look back over history, you'd see game 49 of the 2013 season, there was an announced crowd in the box score of 12,926. And I didn't want there to be, even when we were going for a stadium, when we had a stadium, when we wanted one, when we got one, we wanted to pretend that it was the cool place to be a pro player, so we increased our attendance heading into the new ballpark. There was always a reason for everything I did, no doubt about that. But at the same time, it's ancient history, the day after the game. So Oakland needs to get its act together. And you need to start making up attendance because no one would be able to have this conversation. No one would be on my Twitter at David P. Sampson going crazy. What are the A's doing? They're out of their minds. Everyone's angry. Should the owners do anything about it? Yeah, here's what the owners should do about it. Exactly what they're doing. Try to get a new ballpark built as quickly as possible. And that's when the real problems are going to start. So before every game, we have a system. And it's a pretty good system. We have a checklist. When you are hosting a game, there are meetings that happen. Before every homestand, there's a homestand meeting between all departments. You've got marketing, you've got sales, you've got operations, you've got the baseball. They have meetings, pitchers, catchers, hitters. There's just all sorts of meetings that happen before every series, before every homestand. From an operational standpoint, when you are hosting an event at a ballpark or at an arena, anywhere you're hosting something that is a large public gathering. Now, 2,703, not be so large, it actually is. You have to open the doors, you have to have security, you have to coordinate with police inside the ballpark, outside the ballpark. You've gotta meet with your parking attendants, then you've gotta meet with your concession people. Which concession stands are gonna be open? Where are the people sitting who are coming to the game? We have a chart of which sections people are in, which sections are the most full, where we expect to sell individual tickets that particular day, how many we expect. We have projected every game every area, and then we open concession stands. Accordingly, you think about opening the upper deck, not ever really doing that, which is so depressing. I can't even tell you that you have an upper deck that's closed in all these stadiums, including my own. It is horrific, but I digress. So you have a checklist of everything you have to go through. You're meeting with different people. Here's the number of hot dogs we need, etc. Then you've got a timeline, a run of show, literally a run of show. At four o'clock, the clubhouse opens. At 4.20, you've got call time for the ushers. At 4.40, you've got call time for the scoreboard people. It just goes in order. Here's who's gotta be where. Here's when they're gonna be starting to do their job. Here's when the gates are gonna open. And then you get very specific when it comes to the pregame timeline. The national anthem will be sung by, and there's a list of who's doing the anthem. At 7.03, national anthem, 7.02, the color guard. uh, Lineups announced at 6.59, and then first pitch at 7.07. I mean, it, it literally goes minute by minute. When you look at that document, there is also someone in your operations department who is involved And when there is anything relating to a pregame ceremony, and all teams have pregame ceremonies every single game, even if it's just an anthem, or even if it's recognizing someone from the military, it's a first pitch. You have a document of who's doing the first pitch, what time the first pitch is. 
And then you've got someone who has to greet the person doing the first pitch, someone who has to take the person who did the first pitch off the field, where they're supposed to go when they're off the field. All of this is happening. Then there is a more detailed document if you've got a ceremony, let's say for opening day. Opening day, you open the gates earlier, and then you've got the flyover. A flyover is when you pay, yes, you pay, to have a bunch of cool pilots get in really cool planes or helicopters, which can be super cool. Go look at the video. If you can on Google, Coca, I wonder if the video exists, the flyover for the game we played in in Fort Bragg. I flew to Fort Bragg from Jeff Conine's 50th birthday party the last time I ever golfed. Remember, I got that par on the 18th of the old course in St. Andrews. And then we got on a plane and flew directly to Fort Bragg for that game. No idea what year that was and uh, no idea what month. I don't even remember who we played. I just remember it was incredibly cool to meet the soldiers and it was a big deal in the commissioner's office and I was proud to be a part of it. And that flyover was so unbelievable. It was, uh, it was choppers. It was like army choppers. And they were really low. When you've got the, the, the Maverick and Goose planes who are doing the flyover, they're much higher up. It's still cool. It's still loud, but they're much higher. It was July 3rd, 2016. That's cool. Thank you, Coca. Wow. That was uh, interesting. So the Nationals yesterday had a timeline of what they were doing, and they were doing some sort of cool skydiving event with the Golden Knights. And I don't mean the hockey team from Vegas. I mean the Army's professional skydiving team. Second Jeff Conine reference of the trip, Jeff Conine and his daughter, me and my daughter, this is total flex of privilege. You know, I detour here, Coca. What's so wrong with taking advantage of a situation that you're in? If you're asked by the Golden Knights, hey, would you have any interest in skydiving with us? Yeah. And then why not ask for more? Remember when I talk about salary or I talk about trying to get what you want? What's the worst that happens when you ask for something? No. That's the answer given. That's the worst that can ever happen. Can my daughter come? Yes. Can Conine's daughter come? Yes. Can my assistant come? Yes. Skydiving with the Golden Knights. You get there, they put you in a yellow suit like you remember the Golden Knights. They take you up in this really cool plane. You're attached to someone from the army. You feel totally safe until you actually crap your pants when the door opens and you're looking out and you're saying, now, now, and then you're ready in the air hard to breathe at the altitude and then you land and it's the coolest thing ever it's so but i always i've been skydiving with my oldest daughter and then my middle daughter and my youngest son so i've been skydiving um with all of my kids and i only had one rule is that i want them to go first not because i'm being selfish because i want to be able to see if there's a problem because then the person on my back who actually has the parachute and a tandem jump, if whatever, if there's an emergency and the parachutes don't open of my kids' parachutes, I'd say to my guy, hey, cut me free or just hurry up, get down to them, do something, try to save them. How's that for selfless? For all of you who think that I'm nothing but selfish. So the Golden Knights are a skydiving 
organization, and they love doing exhibitions. So the Washington Nationals had planned yesterday for the Golden Knights to parachute into the game. Now, what's cool about that is getting back to how operations work. When you've got a pregame flyover or a pregame parachutist, I've done all those things, all of that has a separate checklist. Part of that checklist is that you've got to speak to the FAA. The reason you have to speak to the FAA is that Marlins Park is super near the airport in Miami and maybe where the new soccer stadium is going to be, or maybe not. Pro player is near Opelika Airport and is also in between Fort Lauderdale Airport and Miami Airport. Washington Nationals ballpark, yes, it's near Reagan, but it's also near the capital. Washington has page one of their operations manual. When we are doing anything involving airspace in a post 9-11 world, these are the four people we call. We tell them what we're doing. They give us permission. We then call them as we're doing it. Are we on time? Is everything still good? Because when you're doing a flyover, you're actually communicating with the pilots before they take off from their base. All right, we're good. We're on time. Go. All right, the national anthem, which we rehearsed, is two minutes and 49 seconds. Therefore, we're going to need you to fly over exactly at two minutes and, and the rocket's red glare. Psh, it's organized to the second. So the aircraft carrying the Golden Knights parachutist is ready to go at Nationals Ballpark. It's getting into the area. The FAA doesn't know what's going on. They started to scramble jets to take down the plane because it was unauthorized to be in the airspace around the Capitol, and the Capitol is right near Nationals Ballpark. They then evacuated the Capitol because there was a thought, because there's protocol, when there is a potential danger of any sort of attack, thank you, 9-11, you have to evacuate. The United States Capitol got evacuated because the Nationals did not properly contact on their checklist who needed to be contacted in order for everyone to be told that there was going to be a plane in the airspace. Or even worse, they did contact the FAA and the FAA neglected to do its checklist and contact the other people in Washington, the other organizations who are in charge of surface to air missiles. Now, were any missiles scrambled and getting ready to go? Very unlikely, because all of a sudden here come a bunch of guys dressed in yellow, like bananas jumping into the stadium. All good, you're back into the Capitol a few hours later, there's no threat. But let me tell you, those were some tense moments in Washington, D.C. yesterday. And the reason was they didn't follow the checklist. Do you know when you're an experienced pilot, have you ever been on a, on a uh, commercial plane and you just see this big sort of chart that has this list of things you have to check? Or if you watch Apollo 13, even better. Jim Lovell has been flying and doing space shuttles and Terry Verts, we had him on a Samson sit down. If you ask Terry Verts, hey, you're experienced, you don't need to do the checklist, right? I've done a million games. I've done a million flyovers. I've opened the gates thousands of times. I've landed a plane thousands of times in 10,000 hours. Guess what? You still do the damn checklist. Always. Flaps. Open. Someone's getting fired. You got to get fired.
All right, when we come back, we're, we, are, we told you we would review all the old knives. And then we're going to talk about some pitch clock. And I may throw in a little conversation about some HRs. We'll be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, following, telling your friends about Nothing Personal. It matters. We appreciate it. There's a movie called All the Old Knives. It's free. It's, do I get to say it's free, Coca, even though Prime charges you a monthly fee? Do you allocate that monthly fee when you watch a certain amount of content? So if you watch 14 movies over a month and you pay 14 bucks a month, is every movie a dollar? Or if you watch a series that is 14 hours and you pay $14, do you say, hey, I pay a dollar an hour for the content that I watch? I don't know. I don't keep track because I definitely get my money's worth from all of the streaming services. All the Old Knives has Christopher Pine and I'm going to, uh, is it Thandie Newton? Thandwee Newton, who was in the news yesterday for an unfortunate thing. Remember how we talked about that everyone goes to uh, rehab when they get caught doing stuff? Well, we have no idea what happened with Newton, but there was a rumor that she is off the new Magic Mike movie because... She sort of was going through a hard time and she needed some, was taking a mental health break. And then all of a sudden it came out that maybe she's getting divorced. And then it came out that maybe she's dating a younger guy. Give, give me a break. Stop torturing celebrities just because they're celebrities. Do you really care that Albert Pujols is getting divorced? Is that really worthy of your time? So she's in this movie along with Chris Pine. They play CI operatives, CIA operatives. It is a twisted tale of deceit, lies, love, nudity, questioning whether or not anybody saw a daily in this movie. A daily is when you shoot for a day and then you look at the daily and say, ooh, that looks pretty good, or ooh, we need some help, or ooh, let's fire the director. Somebody looked at the dailies of this movie and said, I know that Chris Pine, when we do flashbacks, we can still use Chris Pine as an actor, but guess what? We're gonna change his hair and he's gonna look terrible. Did someone actually look at his hair? Come on. The end of All the Old Knives is worth the entire program, okay? So make sure you get through it. Watch the movie, get to the end. You will not believe how things end up. If you guessed how it ends up, then you're smarter than I am. All the old knives on Amazon. Chris Pine's a good-looking guy, by the way. Nothing personal pick of the game. Did we lose on a three-pointer by Joel Embiid? 
in overtime, 104-101, when we were only getting one and a half or two points. Did that really just happen? I just saw some sort of play, but I think I was dreaming. I, I had dinner and I had a glass of wine. An organic cab, which I'd never heard of. I don't know what an organic cab means. I, I guess it comes from dirt or it goes to dirt or the grapes are grown in organic dirt or maybe the juice inside the grape is organic because you shoot it up with things. I have no idea what that meant, but I still got it and had a couple glasses. And then I'm watching, and it looked like Joel Embiid gets an inbounds pass, and then with under a second left, throws up a three-pointer that goes in, and then the Sixers win, and they're up 3 nothing, and the Raptors didn't cover, and we're 47-39, and and I was pissed. Sorry about that, folks. Tonight, we've got the Nuggets. The Warriors are good. They've got Van Poole. The Warriors have Del Curry. The Warriors have Michael Thompson. The Warriors have Gary Payton, who is still playing so well after all those years in Miami and Seattle. God, they're good. But the Nuggets have... <laughs> Coca? Do the Nuggets have Jokovic or Jokic or Djokovic? Jokic. The reason Joker... Now, is Joker the nickname of the tennis player who just came out about the Russian not being able to play Wimbledon? So Nikola Jokic is the MVP, but the tennis player, this, I'm so, I need help. It's not that I do this so early in the morning, but I just, I'm bad with names. It has nothing to do with where they're from, but the Nuggets are getting one and a half at home. There is, oh, they're both called the Joker. Coke is in my ear saying, it's okay, David. This time you're right. They're, why are both of their nicknames the Joker? That makes no sense to me. Oh, because one is Jokic and one is Jokovic. Okay, whatever. Nuggets plus one and a half at home. The Warriors are not going up 3-0. The Joker's way too good. Okay, I've got some good baseball news. Good news for everybody. Guess what? The pitch clock is coming in 2023. That's a total wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. People want us to keep track, Coca, and we do, because we revisit when we get wait to sees wrong. We revisit when we get wait to sees right, because we're not your ordinary gas bags. If you're on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, please go to that and hit subscribe today and see if you notice anything different. Thank you, Linda, and everyone at CBS in Fort Lauderdale, who after two years, through no fault of theirs, found and sent part of the original Nothing Personal set that is behind me as I talk. So you can check it out right now on YouTube with a little tiny Wilson. Hello, Wilson. So wait to seize. You ask us to keep track. Individually, we do. And now you want to score like the Nothing Personal pick of the day. I'd have to go add them all up. We are in episode 581. I bet we've had 550 wait to seize. It would be my guess somewhere in that range. So I don't know what the score is, but we'll go back and look. But my wait to see today is that in 2023, next season, there will be both a pitch clock and a ban on the shift in Major League Baseball. A ban on the shift means that there'll have to be two infielders on either side of second base. And there'll be a pitch clock, which will count down and pitchers will have to pitch before that clock runs out. And if they don't, they'll get a foot fault. Give me a break. 
the rule is going to be that if a pitcher does not pitch before the clock strikes zero, they'll get a warning and then they'll get a letter sent to them and then they'll get a fine. It's not like they're going to get a ball called against them. Like if it's ball three and you don't throw the ball in 14 seconds, oh my God, you didn't throw the ball in 14 seconds, boom, someone goes to first base. The owners would never go for that. They never ever get 23 votes for that. I was always in favor of that. I want consequences. A batter steps out of the out of the box, you're not allowed to get both feet out of the batter's box. That is a rule in Major League Baseball. So when you look at some players, they always keep one foot in the batter's box, even when they go through their whole crazy routine of their batting gloves, unstripping, restripping, and then tapping their bats, and then tapping it one, two, three, four times, looking at their bats, smelling their bats. If your foot's in the batter's box, you're okay. But there's no consequence. When you try to change behavior, and there's no consequence to not changing the behavior, there's no way that behavior is ever going to be changed. So there'll be a pitch clock. Word came out yesterday. I think it was by my close friend, good guy, good writer, smart man. I can't remember who it was, somebody. That baseball games in the minor leagues where there's a pitch clock, they are running 20 minutes shorter. That's awesome. That means that next year games, instead of being three hours and 59 minutes or three hours and 29 minutes or three hours and nine minutes, they're going to be down to 2.49. It was our dream for a decade to get games back to that. Hmm. Here's the problem. It's not going to work. The pitch clock that is being suggested right now by Major League Baseball is 14 seconds when there's no one on base, 19 seconds when there is someone on base. Theo gave an interview about this. Theo, tell me the number of pitchers who are in violation of that time right now. I just want to hear it. Give me the evidence, because I know you have it, because we have it. When we were sitting on that committee, we had a list of pitchers who would violate a pitch clock at a certain amount of time. Is it 10 pitchers? Is it 20? Is it 90? Is it every pitcher? How about coming clean and saying that a 14 minute pitch, a 14 second pitch clock doesn't impact any more than a dozen pitchers on 200 particular pitches during the course of a year. But the minor leagues has definitely had 20 minutes shaved off. Therefore, Major League Baseball can give you all sorts of PR saying, look at all these changes we're making. We're making the game better. So come on and watch baseball. Meanwhile, if you like home runs, don't bother because home runs are down because we deaden the ball. We put humidors in every park. We totally changed the ball. It's still legal, but it's definitely dead because we don't want Pete Alonso to get a big free agent contract. That's the reason it has to be. Worked up today, Coca. Everybody has all these theories as to why things are happening, and it's just not true. Yeah, baseball changed the whole ball so Pete Alonso doesn't get paid. No. Baseball changed the ball because the owners and the broadcasters do not want games that are only home runs and walks and strikeouts. They are trying to get the ball in play. And the more hitters realize that they can swing out of their ass, they can come out of their shoes as much as they want, but they're only going to have warning track power. And then they're going to go to arbitration and not get paid because they don't have the bulk stats. They don't have the RBIs. They don't have the average. 
And then they're going to say, hmm, I think we got to change our approach. It's going to take years, folks. But everything baseball is doing with the baseball is purposeful. And you can't tell me after 300 games this year, however many games have been played so far around baseball, that we know for sure what the final stats will be in 2022. But I do know for sure that when baseball makes changes to rules or how they're enforced or what the equipment is allowed in terms of the baseball, in terms of equipment at the plate with what your elbow pads can be and what armor you can wear, it is all done with a greater purpose. And the greater purpose is to accomplish what their ultimate goal is. And in this case, every rule change that you're going to see the ultimate goal is more balls in play. That leads to more business. And that means we never have to use 2,703 as a word of the day again. It's just business. This is nothing personal. 